This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. And I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's the end of the month, so time for us to do a roundup of the biggest environmental-related news and conservation-related news with the co-founders of environmental journalism portal Makaranga. And joining me, of course, Lau Yaohua and Wong Siu Lin. And today we'll be talking about amendments to forestry law, some coastal reclamation plans which seem to be happening all over the peninsula, and whether the almost yearly onset of transboundary haze should be considered a human rights issue. Welcome, both of you. How are you today? Fine, thanks. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to have you both on the show. So let's kick it off straight away with the uh, amendments to the forestry law, which was tabled. I'm um, very, very long awaited. We've been talking about this for ages now. Uh, I think the important thing that came out was to make compulsory public consultation uh, before the degazettment of forest reserves, right? And, and also to identify, replace the area with similar size areas. But there's some issues as always. Uh, take it away, guys. Yeah, so this is uh, definitely great news, right? Um, so on the 3rd of March, so a few weeks ago, uh, we received, I, I was actually surprised uh, because I wasn't uh, keeping an eye on this close enough. Um, and yeah, so the Ministry of Energy and Natural Resources, you know, they tabled this, uh, the, the proposed amendments to the National Forestry Act. So they had the first reading, uh, looking forward to the second reading. And so, yeah, you're right. So they are Actually, like, you know, many pages of uh, proposed amendments, uh, you know, one of it is, you know, but they're all directed towards three things, really. Uh, the you know, harsher penalties for breaching forestry laws. And then what you said, you know, that if a government wishes to remove any areas out of a permanent reserve forest, then they have to conduct, uh, in Malay, it's called Siasatan Awam. So I guess that's a public inquiry or public consultation mm-hmm. before they do that. And then the, there's another third one, which is very important, is that if the government wishes to remove an area, you know, then they must first identify uh, a replacement area of equal size or larger, right? right? Um, and then they must gazette that replacement area as a permanent reserve forest too. Now, you know, Makaranga have been speaking to foresters for the last, you know, two years or more. Um, and we know that this... Uh, uh, these proposed amendments are something, you know, that the forces, uh, many of the forces we spoke to, they really want to see it done. And they have been working, you know, behind the scenes with the state governments, obviously, to, to get it. Because these have this proposed amendments, they go through several rounds of reviews, you know. So first the ministry gets it ready, then it has to be approved by the cabinet, and then approved by the National Land Council, which is chaired by the Prime Minister, and then uh, with members of uh, comp- comprising the state government representatives, usually the chief ministers. So yeah, so there needs to be a lot of negotiation on. And th- this set of, uh, and there have been many setbacks, you know, uh, partly due to the change of governments. Uh, but, but this set of proposed amendments was approved by the cabinet in January 2021 and then approved by the National Land Council in December 2021. And yeah, somehow that I, I didn't catch that in the announcement. Um, and so, but yeah, so we have it proposed. Now, the, you know, all these are very important amendments, right? Because they make forest management um, in Peninsular Malaysia uh, a lot more democratic, mm-hmm. a lot more inclusive uh, of the public True. and also forward-looking because before they're removed, they have to first identify. Um, so yeah, and well, as of now, only the only state that has public inquiry um, compulsory is, is Selangor, right? 
that that being said, yeah, that being said, you know, the uh, environmental NGOs and lawyers have come up to say that there are important caveats in in all of this. Of course, even if, uh, and of course, we hope that the the proposed amendments will eventually you know get through all the tabling and uh, pass through parliament. This is a federal law, and so the individual state uh, legislative assemblies would have to uh, adopt and then enact. Uh, these amendments into their own state forestry laws, right? Now they can choose not to do it at all, or they can accept it with you know changes you know of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's important. Um, and already some state governments have come up to say that oh we were not consulted, uh, we did not know somehow you know along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. Um, so so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But it's just a good, great opportunity for everyone to get more educated on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing I'd like to point out is, um, I think it's on purpose that the amendments are like, you know, are broad and not so, um, without like specific, they did not put specific uh, details on how a public inquiry should be done. And they did not state a timeline for the replacement uh, forest. So they, they just say that it has to be identified and then, uh, gazetted as a replacement, but they didn't say how long. So, you know, I, it, I, I guess it's up to the state government to decide if they want to put a timeline in there, but I figure a timeline would be really important. Otherwise, you know, I could do it, I could identify it and then not gazette it for like 10 years later. Yeah, so those are some of the caveats. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just want, I just wanted to add about this public uh, this whole public inquiry thing, and I, I wonder whether Slango might be an indication of whether such public inquiries actually will work if states decide to adopt them. Just with regards to the North Kuala Langat uh, Forest Reserve uh, Gazetment, one might argue that it was a concerted effort by NGOs that actually pushed the government to, uh, you know, sort of change its mind and regazette, and they ha- still haven't done it until now, yeah. rather than the public inquiry. Just food for thought. Yeah, um, you know, we used to hold up Selangor as sort of like the model, right? Because they were the only state that had all of these in place. But uh, yeah, I think that whole saga has has sort of shown us, you know, the the different loopholes. And as we constantly say on the show and with you guys, uh, forests and land is a state matter. It ultimately uh, is up to the the MBs, right, to decide on what happens with the laws in place as well. Okay, all right. Well, um, let's just move on to our second topic for today. And we've been seeing a lot of this, isn't it? Um, reclamation projects all over Peninsula. I mean, Penang, Malacca, uh, Johor. But um, the one in Malacca and more, the, the Malacca Pekan Klebang one, the EIA report was recently rejected. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I believe so. Uh, well, well, certainly the, the Malacca gateway one was cancelled. So I think that's that's a big one. So mm-hmm. there's, there's been several sort of reclamation projects in going on in Malacca. So the Malacca gateway one was cancelled and that's got very interesting implications because it's part of China's uh, BRI uh, project, right? So it's massive, it's massive Chinese, Chinese involvement, uh, so on and so forth. So, so the Klebang one is part of the Malacca Waterfront Economic Zone, which is a mega reclamation project, 10,000 hectares of land, double the area of Putrajaya, basically, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, the Klebang one, I think it has been put on halt because of uh, heritage values. Uh, apparently, there's some underwater archaeological artifacts that are possibly there that, that, that could actually, you know, that they need to examine uh, first. So it's more of a heritage thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a huge project. It's, it's, it's <laughs> 10,000 hectares of land. So and it's, it's basically been approved basically at state level. So, so it will be very interesting to see whether 
the whole thing can be halted or parts of it can be halted. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned all the other states as well where, where reclamations are going on. Uh, just in terms of uh, other areas that have been actually turned down, one is actually the Trungano Kuala Nerus Sunrise City it was rejected by DOE last year. So the EIA, uh, apparently DOE said the EIA also did not comply with guidelines set out for impact assessment and mitigation. So that's been cancelled. Um, another maybe small piece of good news is in Tanjung Aru in Sabah, uh, a, a big project that's been going on and on, on and off, on and off kind of thing. And they've said there's not going to be any reclamation. So we hope that, you know, the so-called um, most beautiful beach in Malaysia, uh, where, where loads of people, it's a public beach, it's, it's gorgeous sunrise, um, that, that, that somehow, you know, development will be carefully thought through. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other areas where it's very likely to go through would be in Penang. Yeah. So the Penang South Reclamation Project, the government is going to resubmit the EIA. Uh, the previous EIA actually was revoked on technical grounds. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of talk about the um, fishermen right, coming yes. in and, and making very emotional appeals, but actually the, the reason for it was actually on technical grounds. And since then, the, um, the government has gone on a, a, a charm offensive with uh, fishers. Uh, so previously they were promised ex powerful boats. Uh, they also believed that the fish and the prawns would return once the reclamation was over. Um, and But now there's a new cooperative, right? So they're going to, the new cooperative for fishermen are going to do things like cut out middlemen so that, you know, incomes are higher. Um, well, and, you know, the economic gains, they're still saying the 17 square kilometer islands will generate 70 billion ringgit for Penang in the next 30 years. That's a lot of income. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other sort of huge mega projects uh, would, of course, be Lankasuka. So it's the Widat at uh, Lankasuka, luxury malls, luxury golf course, luxury apartments, 810 hectares, 99 islands in the shape of an eagle, worth 40 billion in investment. Yeah, and that's. Uh, am I right that that one has already started? I mean, I think they've announced it. So announced I it. Okay. haven't, you know, uh, sort of seen sure. anything sure. online. I don't know whether Yahua has seen anything. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, started. Sorry, I wasn't. You know, I haven't been paying too much attention on this. What I have been paying attention, slightly more attention on, is uh, sand mining, which is you know, you know, it's like when we think about this reclamation. Uh, by the coast, right? Uh, and we may think, oh, you know, it's happening in Malacca, I'm living in Trangano, it doesn't matter. Actually, it, it's not true because, you know, where will they get all the sand and all the soil to, to fill up all this coast, right? Yeah. You have to get it somewhere. And, you know, sand mining, whether legal or illegal, it's um, it, it, it's damaging, you know, and, and it occurs throughout Southeast Asia. We have spoken to fellow journalists who are very worried and are investigating this. I have spoken to uh, actually, in fact, I know people who do science and mining, and the way they describe it, I was like, "Wow, okay, it's it's quite damaging." But and and I have you know we have flown drones where we were looking at the forest and hey, it's there you know it's like uh, uh, sand mining, which we which is not shown on the EIA review, project reviews that I've seen in the area. So I, I suppose you know anyway, I'll just leave it there. Um, so yeah, so. You know, sand mining. You know, if all these projects get approved, you know, I, I think I'm hoping that the the reviewers of these projects will also look at the you know where are all this sand coming from and and, and consider that aspect as part of the EIA uh, review. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the show I did just, just before speaking to you guys, I spoke to Dr. Jillian Wee, a uh, marine ecologist. We were talking about seagrasses and she mentioned how, you know, seagrass habitat is always uh, highly prized because it's easy to, you know, because it's quite shallow, right? So it's one of the hotspots for developers, you know, when they're doing these sorts of reclamation programs as well. So, yeah, we, we were just talking about that as well. Um, but yeah, I know that some environmental um, organizations are, you know, trying to call for a moratorium on these land reclamation projects. So let's see um, what happens there, yeah. Um, just moving on quickly to our next topic. So that is a um, one related to haze. So uh, we've I've spoken to some folks, you know, about why uh, haze is a human rights issue. And now Suhakam also wants to publish a report on that. I mean, we know that last, you know, Pakatan Harapan administration had indicated they wanted to introduce a draft law that would punish Malaysian companies if they were found to cause haze in other countries. Perikatan National took over and um, shelved those ideas. Um, where do we stand with that? Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, um, so yeah, so if you have done the show uh, on, on, on this, then, then of course your show will be the one to go to to, to get more of these details. Sure. But what we know uh, was that, um, well, the, the weather is, is, is great today. Uh, sunny, bright, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but and we sort of like you know, it's been a few years apparently that that we have not been you know hit by a, a, a haze that you know terrible, terrible haze uh, like before. But um, and and many of the oil palm expansion has also slowed down in Indonesia and in Malaysia in the past few years. So maybe that's why. But you know, if if things changes, uh, weather patterns change, and then of course the the haze would be back. So these are all things to keep in mind. And uh, so how come? They, you know, on the earlier part of this month, on the 9th and 11th, they held a, a like a multi-stakeholder roundtable discussion on on exactly this, like you know, the human rights aspect of uh, transboundary air pollution, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we call it haze, which makes it sound like a natural uh, uh, disaster, but of course we know it's it's you know, perhaps largely man-made, right? Right. And so uh, the humans' right, uh, human rights, you know, the right to clean air, um, and so. And they held this multi-state roundtable discussion after they received a complaint from uh, you know, uh, the groups uh, Chara and then the Anti-Haze Coalition asking, you know, asking for Suhakam to make a public inquiry into haze pollution as a human rights violation. Mm. So anyway, so it was a two-day um, multi-stakeholder roundtable discussion and, and they are going to you know, release a report on it, like you know, what Suhakam, Suhakam does, you know, they do a very in-depth review and then they re- release a report, basically looking at um, the causes and impact of uh, haze or this transboundary air pollution on human health, on the economy, on education, you know, on social welfare, um, and then looking at what are the gaps in our legal framework now that you know, sort of uh, prevents our enforcement officers from actually tackling the issues uh, with the perpetrators here and also, uh, you know, overseas. Yeah. Okay. I think what's interesting about this roundtable is this is one of the objectives of uh, bringing it to Suhakam to begin with, that there's actually leadership from a, very, a powerful organization like Suhakam, right, for on human rights, uh, which, which places the, 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 the entire framework of this approach to uh, air pollution, you know, within the ambit of, of a leader like uh, Suhakam mm-hmm. and human rights, right? And the second thing I think they wanted to do and why this roundtable is important is this the first of their, uh, one of the objectives, uh, which is really public participation. I think one of the things that they were talking about is really that the, the whole thing has really been led by uh, government, 
So they've, they've said, no, we don't need a law, we will use diplomacy. Whereas, what about the rest of us? Like, if we want to say something, we're unhappy or we've got a child who's been affected by air pollution, right? Like, who do we go to? How do we you know? To whom do we bring this up? So when you have something like a roundtable, you really get entire you know participation from very many different sectors which is really absolutely critical when it comes to tackling an issue like this yeah definitely a more holistic sort of approach to it right rather than like i mean we saw what our minister said that it uh, the law is cosmetic and therefore yeah so i mean <laughs> there's a lot going on i think chira has been very very actively pursuing this uh you know they're they're really great um so yeah we can even find out more from them um thank you so much uh both of you for joining me today and of course you know um if anybody would like to find out more about the work that you guys do they just need to head to makaranga.org my thanks again to lao ya hua and wong Sulin, co-founders of makaranga if you miss any part of our interview today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.